The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Along with a couple of sinister laughs, this was the intro to the 1930s radio talk show called The Shadow, not talk show, radio show called The Shadow. It featured a sidekick, Margot Lane, and Lamont Cranston as The Shadow, whose mysterious ways struck terror in the hearts of criminals. The show started in the early 1930s, right in the heat of the Depression, when life was tenuous and uncertain for almost the entire population. After a few rocky starts and stops in the late 1930s, the show was narrated by the spooky, deep-throated voice of Orson Welles, and millions of Americans listened to every show, waited to hear how the creepy, mysterious shadow outwitted the creepy criminal mind. The show had a following for years after that, and is still remembered fondly by many who were alive during that time. And that is how we typically think of the shadow. Dark, creepy, mysterious, criminal, bad. The shadow is our dark inner world. That's what we think of typically when we think of the shadow. We we say that it is the place where we store all the things that we repress because we don't want to act on evil impulses. But today we're going to question that definition of the shadow. We're going to look at it a little bit deeper because what it implies is that at our core, we're basically evil people. And I don't agree with that. And I think a lot of you don't either. So we're going to talk about that today. We've had another show where we spoke about duality, and I would ask you to go back and reference that show. But today, we're going to just mention that again. What we said about duality is this, that we have uh, managed to categorize everything in our world into two categories. One is good, and the other is bad. Or one is good, and the other is evil, however you want to think of that in terms of degrees. But what I say is that good and evil are ways to reduce. They are reductionist, basically, and that makes them invalid. When we reduce things down to uh, a too simple a form, it makes them invalid. And that is what happens when we reduce everything to good and evil. Um, The idea of duality is this, that we are living here on this planet to... Um, on a, as a mission, we are here to walk through this world in which we think that we are separate from the divine. And in our thinking, we have established an entire world that is all about this separation. In fact, we are so we so believe in this that we think it's blasphemous to say that we're divine beings. 
we'll talk about a spark of the divine within us, but that's as far as we'll go with it. We won't really say that we are divine beings. And part of that is in because, is because in our ego states, and I don't mean our ego, I mean our ego state, which is a role, a mask, a costume, we are living out of uh, something that isn't really connected. Uh, it, well, it is connected, but it's not really living as if it's connected. And so we live in that notion, and so it's hard for us to even imagine that we could be really divine beings. But here's the thing. What that means is that we have also repressed our knowledge of our divine essence and also the divine essence itself. We have pushed it back into the shadow. So what that means is not only does the shadow hold and contain all of those things about us that we don't want to know that we consider to be dark, but it also holds all those things that we consider to be light. So that is a real important recognition Once upon a time, Carl Jung was asked to define the shadow, and he was in a group of people, and they were just nitpicking him to say, well, now, is it this, is it this, is it that, is it this? And he finally really got flustered, and he just stood up, and he said, the shadow is the entirety of the unconscious, and he walked out of the room. Because that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to put it in a neat little category that we can understand. But really, I agree with Carl Jung. The shadow is the entirety of the unconscious. It is everything about which we are not conscious. It is uh, all the things that we miss during a day because we aren't paying attention. It is, yes, indeed, some of the things that we repress. But here's the thing. Why do we repress? Why would we repress an impulse that we call bad? Well, it's because we call it bad. That's why. We, We repress things that we call bad because we think they're bad. In fact, if, the, if we could look at the essence of who we are, not just the essence, the entirety of who we are, and, and really just sort of claim that and listen to it, we would understand that it's so much more complex than just calling it evil. Uh, let me give you a more collective example. We, we typically think of Adolf Hitler as a person who exemplify, exemplifies evil in its most horrific form. And while I agree that the things that he did were uh, pretty horrific and uh, they were terrifying and um, certainly genocide is not something that I would support in any way, shape, form, or fashion, nevertheless, that doesn't necessarily mean that he was evil. In fact, after the Treaty of Versailles, the entire German culture, the population of Germany, was feeling pretty angry about the position they'd been placed in. They lost huge chunks of land to other countries, the countries that they had gone to war with. They um, And they were literally, in the Treaty of Versailles, blamed for the war. And although they didn't agree with that, uh, they they were, in the Treaty of Versailles, blamed for the war. So they felt a great deal of shame, and they felt resentment, and they felt as if they had been belittled by the entire world. And so here is a whole mass of people walking around with this sense of shame, okay? Now, Hitler was obviously one of those people, but Hitler was also um, diagnosably um, insane. Um, he had psychotic episodes and um, actually literally was seen by audience members frothing at the mouth at times when he gave speeches. But what he represented to the people was somebody who could rescue them from this sense of shame that they felt. So when he got up there and said, I can make you a nation of supreme beings, that was just exactly what these people who felt such shame needed to hear. So now we're talking about shadow dancing. 
they had pushed their shame back into their shadows and they projected it out onto Hitler. And Hitler then, because he had taken on this mass shame, needed to put it on another mass of people. And so he committed genocide on the people that he gave that mass of shame to, all those all the Jewish people and the priests and the homosexuals and whoever else they wanted to put into that category of people they wanted to to shame. Those people were bad now, and the German people were good. And so the shadow worked in that way. The people projected their shadow onto Hitler. Hitler projected that massive shadow onto the Jewish people and the people, all the other people that he killed. And that is how that works. So it, can we really say that's evil? Can we really say to reduce that huge uh, phenomenon to a simple word and say, well, it's just evil and we don't have to think about it anymore. You see, I think that's what the whole concept of good and evil does for us. It allows us to not have to think about it anymore. It helps us to be able to just kind of put it on a shelf, wrap it in a pretty little bow and say, well, that's evil, so I don't want to participate in that. I don't want to think about it anymore. That's the end of that. Brush our hands off and we're done. But we might need to reconsider because there might be a whole lot more going on than what we, how that simple little simplified reduced concept would allow us to believe. Let's try another one uh, about projection. We, we, we say that, you know, starving is not something that we want to even notice here in America. We don't show much, shed much media light on the starvation and poverty that's here in America. And, but we do recognize it in third world countries. And it's interest, that's an interesting archetype in itself, third world that's a way of psychically distancing ourselves from people that are, are, are really, we are one with. Um, so in these third world countries, as we so call them, um, there is starvation and, and power, abject poverty, and so, but we don't want to think about that. So that's over there, and we're over here, and the best we do with it is tell our children to clean their plates because all of those children in whatever country we've projected our worst fear onto. And so we've taught our children to do the same thing. They're... they're um, eating and sometimes to obesity and uh, while at the same time pushing away their fear of poverty and projecting it out onto the people over there. Now let's look at that from a different angle. What I project, the other person also receives as projection. That means they carry for me something I don't want to carry for myself. And what I would ask then is who, who is it that is really poor here? These loving people that are carrying our shadow for us as well as starving to death or us. It's hard to say from that perspective, isn't it? So when we reduce the, that, that whole concept to, oh, we're good if we feed the starving poor and we're bad if we don't think about them, then we've just really reduced the whole idea. We don't recognize that we're one, that their poverty is our poverty, that our wealth is their wealth. We don't recognize that. We don't see that. We don't implement that in our lives. And, and, and so we are living in a duality state in which there's a they over there and a we over here, and it's split off, and there's separation between us, and we're not really connected, so we don't have to really think about it that much. And, you know, we've made the problem money. Of course, the problem isn't money. The problem is duality. Because if we could all recognize that, pull that projection back onto ourselves and carry it ourselves, if our, we could carry our own fear of poverty ourselves, then we might begin to recognize that it's not a third-world country at all, but a first-world consciousness that we can participate in with them. We're going to talk some more about this right after the break. Come back again. Your shadow does know.
media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back thanking me for my concerns and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who will work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Authentic Living, brought to you today by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You know, the American Institute of Holistic Theology has a whole new program, an interfaith program that offers you a a full range of holistic theological courses, including um, alternative spirituality, health, um, metaphysics, and several others. So please go to www.aiht.edu and check it out for yourself. You might be amazed about, about the offerings that they have there, and it might be just the school you're looking for. 
So today we're talking about your shadow, and what we've discovered thus far is that the shadow does contain some things in it that we might consider to be dark, but the reason it does is because we consider those things to be dark, and it also contains all of our power, including our own divine essential nature. So the shadow isn't the dark and sinister place where we capture all of our evil, it is, in fact, the place where we retain everything that we don't want to know about ourselves. Um, you know, it's important to understand here that the whole concept of duality is what puts us in the position of having an unconscious in the first place. Um, we don't want to know that we are uh, divine beings because our, the duality trance state in which we all live and have lived since the beginning of our uh, existence here on this planet has to do with that kind of blindness. We must be blind in order to walk through the duality trance state. But the reason we are doing that is because we're offering the universe a gift. The gift we're offering to the universe is this. Once we have completed this walk through duality, it will never, ever again be raised as a question. Never again will anyone else have to live separate from the divine. So we are on a royal mission here on this planet but it contains a lot of illusions about what's really going on. So when we see something horrible going on in the world, we tend to think that, oh, this means there's evil. In fact, the definition of evil start, started off with bad fortune. It, 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 we began to think in terms of good and evil when we began to realize that things didn't always go our way down here. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, that dynamic says, oh, well, this is evil because I don't like it. Well, I don't know about that. It might be something I don't like, but it might also be something that, from which I'm uh, learning a great deal about myself, about who I really am as a divine being. In fact, every crisis that we have in our lives, be it a small crisis or a large crisis, is an opportunity for us to wake up to who we really are, and who we really are, again, is hidden in our shadow. So that the essence of who we are might present itself through a crisis in a way that we can really hear it, whereas in our everydays we're so busy living out of our ego state or our role that we don't really recognize who we really are. Now I want to talk a little bit just for a second about ego because that's the other side of the shadow, and it's really kind of we're damned if we do and damned if we don't with regard to the ego and the shadow. We hear so many people today telling us that we're, our job is to get rid of the ego, and I'm going to shout this to the rooftops uh, for as long as I'm here, we don't want to get rid of the ego. The ego is a, is, is a very important structure of the mind, and we don't want to get rid of it. It actually is very neutral. The ego is a liaison between the inner world and the outer world so that it sorts what's outside of me and what's inside of me, what is me and what is not me, what is an emotion, what is a thought, what is this emotion as compared to that emotion. You see, it's a sorter. It helps me to define what's really going on. But very often what we do is we attach our ego to an identity. And then it becomes an ego state. It's as if we could say, I, my ego lives in the state of Wisconsin. That's where it's assigned to live, and that's the only place it can live. And if it ever tries to go across the borders of Wisconsin, I'll arrest it and throw it back in Wisconsin. So that's the way it is with our role. The ego has decided on the state in which it's going to live. And so if, I, if, if my ego moves out beyond those borders of where I want it to live, then I'm going to arrest it and send it back and say, no, this is the state you're supposed to live in. So my ego state can be 
Uh, I live as superwoman. It can be I live as scapegoat. I live as the runaway. I live as a victim. I live as a bully. I live as a, a superhero. I live as, um, I, th- I guess that's all of them. Uh, but there's others. I live as invisible. I, you know, it could be a several different um, roles that we live in. And, and these are really masks and costumes. They aren't who we really are. They are masks and costumes. And so it, that is the ego state. That is something the ego has identified with and said, oh, this is who I am. But it isn't really who we are. Who we really are is hidden away in the shadow. Now, okay, so we got some people over here telling us that we need to get rid of the ego because... It is the cause of all of our evil deeds. We've got other people over here telling us that the shadow is filled with evil. And, you know, it's a dark place, and when we go wandering through there, we're going to find all of our um, impulses that are evil. Well, so where are we good? We're evil in the ego, and we're evil in the shadow. Where are we good? <laughs> you know, we're just we're trapped. And, and that psychology is based on the whole archetype of duality that says, at our core, we are evil. And because we are evil at our core, we cannot be connected to the divine. And it's based on the whole premise of separation from the divine. If I'm separate from the divine, there's got to be a reason for that. Well, it must be because I'm evil. And that's how that's gone. Um, so when we don't please ourselves, we call ourselves evil. When, we don't, when, when life doesn't please us, we call it evil. When other people don't please us, we call them evil. And so that's the whole nature of it. Now, let's try to define goodness. The way we define goodness is that it's not evil. That's just about the sum of it. A person is good to the degree that they do what I want them to do. Um, They're kind to me and they are uh, generous with me and they do what I want them to do. And they may be generous with other people, which makes makes me trust that they'll always always be good to me too. So that's how a person gets to be good. They do what I think is the right thing, and what I think is the right thing is usually the thing that doesn't scare me and makes me feel good. But that's different for different cultures. So a person, in, uh, according to Osama bin Laden, a person would be good if he blew up the trade towers. We didn't agree with that. So you see, these concepts are so fluid that we can't really grab hold of them. It's a little bit trying, like trying to get your hand around uh, water. You just can't do it if it floats through your fingers. So what, what happens then is we, are, we get lost in this miasma of what's good and what's evil, and we categorize all of our lives in these two simplified categories that reduce everything to these two things. And we don't recognize all the other potentialities that are out there beyond those two categories that really help us to understand ourselves much better. And so we have divided ourselves into, just like we've divided the world into good and evil, we've divided ourselves into ego and shadow. And we say to ourselves, the ego is good and the shadow is bad. But when we start trying to get into our psychology and trying to activate the law of attraction and things like that, we start saying, no, the evil is bad and the shadow is bad and the shadow is good and the evil is what is, I don't know anymore, what's true and what's false. So it gets real confusing. But because we make the assumption that we're all evil at our core, some of us fight the good fight long enough and consistently enough to be considered to be good people. Many of us go to church more in an effort to rid ourselves of evil than to find a true spiritual connection. We are terrified of our own evil, and we believe it has ultimate power. Ultimate so much that in the end, we die. We die because we can get sick. Why do we get sick? Because we live in a world of original sin. Okay? So the whole thing comes down to we're basically, at the core, evil. 
And now in this day of mind-body medicine, what people are beginning to do is, is put that duality translate into the mind-body medicine concept so that now when I get cancer, it's because I've been angry and that means I'm a bad person and I need to stop being so angry so I won't have cancer and then I won't be a bad person and then I won't die. And that's all a bargain. You know, do we have cancer because we're angry? Well, maybe, but does that make me an evil person and do I have to fight it like a, a warrior going to war with intense evil? That's a problem. That's where we get into squaring off against sides of ourselves. And when any time we square off against ourselves, what we're doing is just building more shadow material. If I fight with myself and I win, all I've done is repress that other thing that, I, that lost. So I'm pushing it away into the unconscious, and all I'm doing is building my unconscious larger. So what have I accomplished? Zero. I haven't done a thing. So I don't want to fight with myself. I want to know myself. And so when I get inside the shadow and begin to understand the shadow, then what's happening is I'm getting to know myself. I'm getting to know who I really am beyond all this other concept of myself as this uh, person who at the core is basically evil and has to strive after goodness. But rather, I'm a divine being who has all the power in the universe. And I have, I have the ability to know, to be wise. I know that in, from that place I have never been wounded because I can't be wounded there. But, you know, these other parts of me believe that they can be wounded and damaged and die and all those things. And the reality is, and we, we've said this before, we don't die. We live on. We leave this body, and maybe that's temporary too. Maybe that's a state that one day we will overcome as well. But right now, we leave our body. We don't die. Okay, so, um, you know, one of the things that I encounter a lot as a therapist is a client will come in and tell me a dream. And they will, they'll tell me uh, what the dream was about, and then they'll say, that means I'm really screwed up, right? Or that means I'm really a bad person, right? And screwed up is equivalent to bad. I'm bad to the degree that I'm screwed up and screwed up to the degree that I'm bad. And, and uh, so those things are equated. And really what we find is that dreams aren't telling us anything about our value as human beings and whether we're bad or whether we're screwed up. They're trying to give us information about our particular complexes that keep us out of touch with who we really are. So, for example, uh, if I have a client, I have, uh, this is a, 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 not a dream that a client's had. I'm, I'm making this up. It's fictional. But uh, if I have a client who dreams about, let's say, um, uh, a rocking chair, and, um, and I'm, I'm standing right next to this rocking chair, and somebody's hurting me as I stand next to the rocking chair. So when I wake up, I'm thinking, what is this? Why am I standing there letting this person hurt me? What does this mean? And I interpret it to mean something bad about myself. And therefore, I come out of that dream with a faulty interpretation of myself and of what's really what the message is trying to be. When we come back, I'll tell you more about the message that it's trying to give us. Tune in again in just a few minutes. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. 
I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, we said just before the break that we would talk about what the meaning of that dream was. The dream was somebody is standing next to a chair, holding onto the chair, and somebody's hurting the person who's standing next to the chair, and the person that's standing next to the chair is the person who's had the dream. So uh, what does that dream mean? Well, you have to know the person to know what it means, but let's say just uh, for the sake of um, clarity that we that really we can turn and look at this chair to tell us what's going on. I'm stand- this person is standing there holding on to the chair, and somebody else is hurting me. Well, does that mean I'm a bad person for letting them hurt me? Why don't I run? Why don't I stop them? Why don't I fight? Whatever, whatever. All those accusations I put on myself. Or could it possibly mean that the chair has meaning and that I'm holding on to this chair? The fact that I'm holding on to this chair is, is meaningful. Um, Obviously, I've transitioned from a, uh, uh, somebody else to a me. It makes it easier to talk about here. But the point is that the chair has meaning. So if I look at that chair and I ask myself what that meaning is, which we often do when we talk to clients about dreams, what, what in this case it might be is that that chair has significance because it was my grandmother's favorite chair, and I loved my grandmother, and she take, t- took such good care of me and loved me unconditionally and was there for me all the time and 
okay, so now I'm holding on to the chair. So what does that mean? It means that I'm holding on to my unconditional love for myself. I'm holding on to the way I care for myself. And while this per- person appears to be hurting me, what I'm really looking at is the chair. And so what's really going on there is that I'm learning to look inside myself. And, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm still letting somebody hurt me? Well, you know, it looks like that on the surface, but when you talk about the actual events in a person's life, it could mean something like, I'm having to deal with a noxious, toxic boss who uh, who really does uh, look like he's trying to hurt me, but I got my focus on something else, so he's really not hurting me at all. So you see how you can blend those two things together. What so often we want to do is find out what's wrong with us. And I literally have clients come to see me who sit down and say, I just came to see you because I want to know what's wrong with me. We're so used to thinking that way. We, we think in terms of what's wrong with us, and we, we're so afraid that once we uncover who we really are, we're going to find some dark, ugly, monstrous person in there who's capable of all kinds of wrongdoing and horrible deeds and that kind of thing. And so we have that fear. We are really afraid of that. But on the other side, we're not just afraid of that. Marianne Williamson tells us in her famous quote in Return to Love that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. But we all do shrink, don't we? Because we fear ourselves and our own power. So now we know we fear not only our darkness, but we also fear our light. And But the light is found in the unconscious. We are so much more aware of our darkness than we are of our light. We are so ready to believe that we are bad, so much more ready to believe that than we are that we have this wonderful light, this wonderful joy, this peace, this power within us. We are we, so ready to believe that. And, and the deal is we think that it's in the shadow, and as I said earlier, we also think it's in the evil, I mean in the ego, excuse me. But, but the deal is that the shadow contains no more darkness within it than that darkness we see without of us, without, outside of us. You know, we've seen some pretty horrific things in our world from, from, you know, from ancient times. We've seen genocides and homicides and incest and murder and, you know, all kinds of atrocious things that we see all the time. But, so, but somehow we think that the, the shadow within us is even darker than that. It's not darker than that. <laughs> it is that. That is what we're doing. We're living that out in some ways. But, but we're, we're more afraid, as, as Marianne Williamson so clearly tells us, we're more afraid of our power. Because what if we were powerful? What if we were divine beings? I want you to play with that in your imagination for just a minute. What if we really were divine beings? What would that mean? Would that mean that we'd still get sick? Would that mean that we'd still die? Would that mean that we could change the world? I mean, we already changed the world. We already have this immense genius, this enormous ability to work together, 
and create these phenomenal things. The Internet is one of the most phenomenal things that I can even imagine, and yet, you know, we're on it every day. And if you want to, you can write me a letter right this minute, and I'll get it, and I'll read it online. I mean, you know, what we've done in terms of our medical uh, uh, knowledge that is just bumping up every year, the computers that are, are so advancing that we can't keep the same computer for a year and be up to date, uh, these, are, these are the ways that we are challenging ourselves every day to grow in enormous ways. And so we have this genius, and in spite of what we think who we are, we still have this enormous power. So if we have this enormous power, even in our blindness, how much more would we be powerful if we could see, if we could just see who we really are? How much more powerful would we be? What would we be able to accomplish uh, you know, I think it's amazing that sometimes I sit down and I write several pages in a day. And I think, wow, that's really cool. I wrote like 20 pages today in a book that I'm working on. And that is so cool. I was able to do whole 20 pages. What would I be able to do if I really believed in my power? Um, would I be able to heal other people? No, I don't think so. I might be able to touch other people and they might be able to receive the gift of my love and the, the healing energy I offer them, but they would have to do the receiving. Um, so you see, there is so much more that could go on between two people than goes on today if we could just recognize our power. We could just recognize our power to both give and to receive. Receiving is so very important to this whole process because what happens if we go into the shadow and we really accept, find in there our power, our, our truest nature, then, then what happens is we begin to understand ourselves at a whole new level. Uh, you know, I think what we tend to think is that if we could just, I mean, I've literally heard people say this, if we could just get rid of the ego, we could live in a state of constant bliss. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for this state of constant bliss. We're not looking for this state of constant power. But we could have a state of constant power and a lot of joy if we could tap into who we really are. Okay, let's talk about that. How does a person tap into the shadow? Well, for sure it's a daily walk. It's, it's paying attention to what's going on inside you all the time, not just when you meditate. But, but meditating is a really good way to start. It's a way to, to listen to what's going on inside you. However... In our Western culture, we have turned meditation into yet another way to, to dogmatize ourselves, to be rigid with ourselves, to strive after something, to get ourselves into a state, to you know, accomplish something, to reduce our stress. Meditation, if it is, in my view, if it's true meditation, what it does is it, it isn't working at all. It is that um, statement in Psalms. 46.10 that says, cease striving and know that I am God. And the way I read that statement is, cease striving to know that I am God. Cease striving to know that I am God. And so what happens when I, when I think that way is, okay, when I meditate, what I do is just focus on a, a, a place inside my body that, that allows me to recognize that part of me that is God that allows me to see that. Now, there's lots of ways to do that. You know, there's lots of people that will tell you you must learn to visualize when you're, when you're um, in order to get into a place where you can find that other place. 
there's lots of people who tell you you have to sit a certain way or hold your hands a certain way or think certain thoughts or use certain chants, all in an effort to get yourself to a place where you can experience that divine. If those things work for you, do them. If those things don't work for you, stop trying to do them. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, what we're doing is we're trying to push ourselves into a state. And really the river of life that flows beneath, beneath all of us is something we sort of fall into once we get to a certain place. And what that means is we walk into ourselves. We start becoming mindful. And that's, that's how I think of it. The mindfulness process is this. I begin to listen to myself. I begin to just hear whatever is in there. I, I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to say, oh, that shouldn't be there, so let me see if I can get that to go away. I'm not going to tell it it's bad. Certain emotions are bad and other emotions are good. So much of our New Age, New Thought thinking is telling us what emotions are bad and what ones are good, what thoughts are bad and ones are good. We're supposed to really not think any negative thoughts. We're only supposed to think positive thoughts. But I will declare to you again, every time you're trying not to think a thought, you are only repressing it, which is only building your shadow material. So, you know, what this is, mindfulness is not trying to tell you not to think certain things. It is just allowing you to be right where you are, and you're listening without judgment. And what happens when we do that is we really begin to hear. We hear the body sensations that are going on. We hear the gentle flow of certain feelings. We hear some feelings that are painful, some feelings that are frightening, some feelings that are not, some feelings that are just... Uh, a simple contentment with life as it is right now here in this moment, some feelings that are, are, are just aware that we're sitting here in our body and that life is surrounding us and that we feel caressed by that life. Um, there's all kinds of things that are going on inside of us simultaneous to each other. But we think that we're split off and that these things only can operate in separate categories of our minds. But that's not true. We're, we're, all these things are happening at once. We're going to learn more about this way of walking into your shadow in just a few minutes, right after the break. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. 
With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, we have just a few more minutes to talk about this whole thing of walking into our shadow to find out what the shadow does know. And what we've said thus far is that um, we need to be able to get into a state of mindfulness that is not judging. And that can be done in, through mindfulness meditation and through frequent mindfulness meditations, but it also can be done throughout a day by just kind of sitting down and sort of collecting your thoughts and, and, and listening to what's going on inside you. It doesn't have to be a real deep meditation. Just kind of listen. And as you get in the habit of doing that, you'll begin to hear more and more and more. It's like once you open the door to the unconscious, it wants to communicate with you. It has been communicating you with dreams all along. So, you you know, we, we haven't necessarily known what those dreams mean, but we can get direct communication from the unconscious. And, again, the unconscious is the shadow. And we can understand things that we haven't understood. I've reached a, a, a time in my own life where you know, I can ask myself a question, something I want to know, whether it's a guidance or something I want to understand about myself or something to that effect. And within three days, I'll have the answer because I've, I've gotten developed that kind of relationship with my own unconscious and, and my own divine self that allows me to really come to know and I, and I get answers to questions. And uh, so I, I can affirm to you that it is absolutely possible for you to get answers to your questions. But you have to ask the question and you have to ask it to yourself and then you have to be willing to wait and listen till you hear something that rings true and when it rings true inside of you something inside is going to resonate with that and you're going to go oh yeah that's it that's it Mm -hmm. i can feel that it's the same way you might know that a decision you've made is the right one because something inside you says "Uh uh-huh that's it yep that's the one so so we can really become very familiar with our inner topography And as we do, we get closer and closer to the edge of the river of life. And when we begin to see that river, all we want to do is jump in. 
And once we've jumped in that river, we have surrendered to who we really are instead of striving after being something we're not. This whole split between the ego and the shadow has come about as a result of our desire to split ourselves off from who we really are. We wouldn't need a shadow. We wouldn't need an unconscious if we really knew who we are. We wouldn't even really need to be living out the, an ego state at all. We wouldn't have to do that. We might still need the ego to sort between outer, outer and inner, but we wouldn't need an ego state. So this process includes also a, a, a leaning into uncertainty. One of our problems is, and one, what I think the reason we call the tree of knowledge of good and evil is because we're seeking after knowledge. We think we have to have knowledge. We have to know what's good and what's evil. We have to be able to put things in their category and keep them there, by God. And that's how we get a shadow and an ego. And so we, we, this knowing is, is, is really gets in our way. It keeps us from an inner knowing because we think we have to know. So we don't surrender to uncertainty we don't lean into uncertainty. We just try to make sure we never feel uncertain because it makes us uncomfortable to feel uncertain. Have you ever been on a, a canoe? Uh, one of the best things I learned from a skilled canoeist was that when you're in a canoe what you need to, and the river is flowing pretty rapidly, what you need to do is look for the V, an upside-down V, and head for the point of that V so it will carry you to the next V and the next and the next. And in order to do that, not only do you have to row, but you have to lean the boat slightly. You have to lean over slightly, and it sort of guides the boat to that V. That's what we're doing when we lean into uncertainty. We're just leaning into that feeling that I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be so sure because my certainty may be keeping me from really knowing something I need to know. And that's a paradox, but it's true. So we have to be willing to walk into the unconscious with, with a certain sense for the mystery. We have to say, I don't have to know everything here. I'm just going to sit. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to decide what anything means. I'm just going to listen. And as I listen, I'm going to get acquainted with me. I'm going to get acquainted with the subtle nuances of my own feelings. I'm going to get acquainted with the subtle um, feelings that go with certain thoughts. I'm going to get acquainted with this feeling as opposed to that feeling and uh, um, this body sensation and how it's related to that emotion. You see, so we're, we're, we're connecting dots that we have in the past held separately. We've, it's like we've got these different parts of ourselves and one, one part in the right hand and one part in the left hand and we're just trying really hard to hold them apart so they don't get connected. And we don't want to do that. We want to be whole people. So we got that inner part of us that's scared to death to connect these two things and the other outer part of us going, no, you have to connect those things. We're trying to push ourselves to do that by controlling our thoughts. Thought control is not ever going to get us where we need to go. We don't, it isn't our thoughts that are the problem. Thoughts come from somewhere. It's the somewhere they come from that is the issue. And that's what we need to focus on, the unconscious and where, how, that, how that is split off from our ego identification one of the uh, ego identifications, uh, like I said earlier, give us roles. An ego state is a role. And so if my ego state is a superwoman, then in my unconscious, I'm a victim. If my, if my uh, conscious role, mask and costume, is uh, the victim, 
then somewhere in there in the unconscious, I might be a superwoman or a, a rescuer or a bully. Um, most bullies will will say, she made me do it. Well, what is that but a victim? You know, if I'm going to pick on somebody, I'm going to pick on somebody smaller than me because I don't believe the bigger people that are bigger than me can be be- beaten. So I'm going to pick on somebody smaller than me. That's one way. The other way is every time I pick on somebody, I'm going to blame it on somebody else, which means I'm controlled by that person, which makes me the victim. So behind every bully is a victim, and, and uh, behind every victim might be a bully or a rescuer or a superwoman. Behind every Peter Pan is, or somebody who doesn't want to grow up is a very mature, responsible person who doesn't want to recognize that. You see, whatever's on our plate with regard to the ego state, the role, the mask and costume we play out, the opposite is going to be found in our shadow. And that makes us real uncomfortable. But you see, the thing is, nobody is divided up that clearly into caricatures. <laughs> we, those, those, those things are too plastic. They're too... Um, a caricature is as a, a kind of a solid understanding of something. And then we say, oh, well, its opposite is in the shadow, so it must be a caricature too. But there's a lot more in the shadow than just that. So what that tells you, though, is that you really are a whole person. You just have divided it up. So if I'm a, I'm a bully and a victim, well, then I'm a whole person. I put the two together, that makes me a whole person, but I haven't. Of course, there's lots of other things in there, too, that go blend with those things to make those caricatures kind of fade away and be more fluid. But, but uh, you know, what, I've, what I'm saying is the opposites have joined, really are whole. And so we can't really say that we're not whole. We already are whole. We've just divided ourselves up into these categories that seem to make sense to us and make us feel safe. So that's walking into the shadow. And... Um, So what we've talked about today is raising our power by raising our consciousness. And tune in again next week. We're going to be talking to Lynn Clapel about the power to overcome. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.